What's up, Mets fans and non-Mets fans who listen to the Mets Sub Podcast? Here for episode number 21 of the Mets Sub Podcast. I'm your co-host, Giraffe Nick Mark. Mark Luino alongside James Schiano. Jeter had no range. Talking New York Mets baseball as we do after every single series. We just wrapped up a four-game epic marathon against the San Diego Padres, and we came out with a split feeling good like I should. It's it's fantastic. I love it. The Mets are playing good baseball went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the league, a team that a lot of people have as like a World Series contender, and the Mets and their AAA roster, the replaced Mets, competed and won some games. So we've got a lot, a lot of really, really good things to talk about this episode. It's our 21st episode. James is excited. I'm excited. Before I let James come in here and, you know, give his little introduction, you know where to find us. Twitter, Instagram, Mets Up on YouTube. We're uploading the videos again, Mets Up Podcast. Just search us, subscribe to our channel there, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you're listening to us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can find it, subscribe, follow, whatever it is, like us, five-star rating, leave a review. Very much appreciated. Now, James, 21st episode. You excited? How are we doing? How are we feeling after these Padres series? Great. It's the 21st episode. The podcast can finally drink. Hell yeah, let's do it. We've had some episodes where we've been drinking on here. This one, not one of them, I will say. No, I'm, I'm pretty down bad right now. I had like a one exotic day at the Jersey Shore, and I, I have been struggling all day. But we're still yeah. here. We're still giving content to the listeners, because we're not going to miss flu game. I've been seeing the TikToks about people are like, Did you, has anyone from the Jersey Shore had their throat close up? They're like, because I can't breathe today. Like It seems like there's... a pretty famous TikToker down there yesterday. Oh, the nice. dude, he's made his thing like he has like a dollar bill on a reel, and he does it off a balcony. Oh, yeah. Someone else was showing me his TikTok. He has tons of followers, shockingly, because it's not even that funny of a bit. But no, but shout out to that guy. All right. So game one, let's get it started, because there is a lot of good things. And even though the series didn't start off necessarily hot in the win loss column for us, game one, there were some things to take note of, things to talk about that were positive. And one of the big things was that Taiwan started. Now, he didn't have his best stuff. And it's it's especially a night game for Taiwan, who's our day man, because it's a 10 o'clock start, East Coast time. That's so late for Taiwan. He hasn't been in a game at 10 o'clock ever, ever this year. So that was a tough start for him. Yeah, but Taiwan needs some sun. It's interesting that you talked about positives and you started by bringing up Taiwan Walker, who had, I would say, probably his worst start of the entire year and did not look right from the jump of this game. I just feel like he wasn't bad, though. Like, and with Taiwan, who's a guy who, like, again, like, coming off the injury thing and, ever, like, all that. Like, I, he didn't have his best stuff, but, like, as he always does for us, he battled. He was a bulldog again. Like, he still gave us a chance. He did battle. He kept us in the game. But we can't understate how poor Taiwan Walker was on Thursday night. The Padres had eight consecutive hard-hit balls in this game, from Profar single in the first all the way to Tatis' donger in the third. And that was a donger. That was obliterated. Crushed it. So they were all over him. Inside of that run was you fucking Darvish with the hardest hit ball of the entire game at 107.3 miles an hour. You had that great tweet about Darvish against the Mets. Yeah, I think Darvish against the Mets is either 5 for 10 or 5 for 11 lifetime. And against the rest of the league, he's 8 for 112. So you Darvish hits 500 against the Mets and hits about 50 against everybody else. There's literally no way... To rationalize that. It doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense. Well, Gary and Ron, before, like, when Darvish got to the plate, they're like, a man of many different pitches and a man of very, many different swings, not much of a bat up there at the plate, cracks a single. And they're like, <laughs> well, you knew that was coming. Like, we set ourselves up for that. Dude, the other crazy thing about this game was that Taiwan actually had 
the second hardest hit ball of this game, <laughs> 105.6 miles an hour. And that's pretty ironic because my tweet from Tuesday when DeGrom had that single, the 105 blew up. So that's just the universe like, getting back at me for talking about pitchers getting hits. And now both of these guys hit harder balls. That at-bat by Taiwan also was a weird spot because that was where I think a lot of people wanted Pete to be pinch hitting. There were two men on. Yeah. And then not him not being sent out for the fifth. And then the Padres, of course, got an insurance run in the fifth. We'll get to that later. Just to stick with Taiwan for a second. There was legit nothing working for the guy. Nothing at all. He had no easy innings. He didn't even have a pitch that had multiple whiffs. That's bad. Yeah, he had five, four or five the entire game. Just 8% out of every, all of his swings. 8% whiffs. Awful. Terrible. 23% called and swing strike rate. So he was getting some called strikes, which was, I guess, kept him in alive at best, but it wasn't even close. The one thing that we can say positive is that all of his stuff like was fine. Like I don't even know the peripherals about it. Like All his spin rates... His movement, his velocity, nothing was bad there. It's like maybe he was tipping his pitches. Maybe the Padres just were ready for him. Who knows? The Padres also just don't swing and miss a lot, I'm pretty sure. And they no, also they never, do they not never do. They don't chase either. They're yeah. so disciplined at the play. Like every single guy, one through nine or one through eight, let's just say, they all like don't strike out too often. Like the Tatis will strike out because he's a free swinger, but he is still pretty selective at the plate. And when he does swing, like, he's typically hitting the ball pretty hard. So, like, all their guys take pitches, work the counts, like, don't chase. It's a really hard lineup to dice up because not only just talent-wise, but, like, their approach. Even a guy like Jerkson Profar, who, like, really isn't very good, but he serves the purpose of what he does in the Padres lineup, which is just, like, see pitches, get on base, be a scrappy little player. He's perfect for that role, too. Like, he's taken everything he was supposed to be athletically that he lost do the all injuries he's had and just not really living up to the billing, which that happens to prospects, and pushed all of that into this plate discipline monster that he is. Jorge Mateo is doing something similarly right now too, even as a better athlete, just who also can't seem to hit. And the uh, the real story of this game was Darvish. It's very hard to win a game when you don't get a hit for five innings. Mets didn't even score a run. No, that was Friday night. There's no, Mets, in, the Mets yeah. didn't even score a run. Jacob Barnes came in after Taiwan. He gave us some very good innings. That helped. He's turning into actually being a pretty good reliever after we trashed him early on. His velo was up too. I feel like he. I felt like he was sitting at like 95, 96. I don't know what his average came out to, but like I just feel like watching it, I noticed like Barnes throwing a little bit harder and like the stuff was moving. Like he looked strong again. I'm. He's still not even close to like one of our top end guys, and he never will be. We shouldn't mm-hmm. be at a point where Jacob Barnes ever is. But for the purpose that he's serving now, where it's like he can come in a game where the Mets are losing and keep it close, that's yeah. huge for this team because, as we saw we got later in the game, it was important that that game got close because we almost brought it back. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but that's huge. Yeah, multiple times. Barn is the captain of the C team, and that's like the perfect role for him right now. Yes. And that's great. That's actually another good merchandise idea, have like C team, like our bullpen's like A team, B team, C team. That is, yeah. Funny. yeah. We'll work on that. But one cool thing I wanted to pull from this game was – Tim Hill's story of becoming a baseball player. Because I texted you about this on Thursday night. Wayne Randazzo shared it on the radio broadcast, and I was just shocked to hear it. This guy's life should be a movie. And we've got a, like, a weird thing with Tim Hill, too, because back in my days when I was a little you know, paler of skin, not getting the sun out on the terrace and didn't weigh a little bit much as much as I do now... I was getting comparisons to looking like Tim Hill. <laughs> so there's like a weird, like a weird connection here with me and Tim Hill. He, first off, is really good. He's yeah, he's, he's sick. fantastic. He's disgusting. He's a great left-handed reliever. Mm-hmm. But his story that you told me blew my mind. I never heard it. I don't know how no one knows this. No one knows this. Just share with the listeners right now. Tim Hill was a high school baseball player, unheralded, not recruited, nothing special at all. 
he was kind of meandering after high school, didn't go to college, or maybe he did, this was after college, but it wouldn't make sense because he's still not super old. His sister lived in San Diego and got him a warehouse job. So he moved out to San Diego, was living there, working in a warehouse. And him and some of the guys at the warehouse had a ball of tape, apparently. They would throw around, like, on the floor, which this is, this is, this is a movie. Yes. He was throwing it very hard from the left side. And these guys were like, have you ever played baseball? He's like, I pitched a little in high school. They were like, we played in a men's league. Like, you should come out and play. And he was like, sure. And he's just dominating a men's league in San Diego right after that. Of course, because he has tons of talent and he's wailing a ball lefty. He parlays that into, I don't know if he was like discovered or if he started playing in like a club team or something. Eventually got a scholarship to play in an NIAA school in Oklahoma. So, Juco, yeah. Yeah, junior college. He pitched there for a couple of years. Wound up getting drafted in the mid to late rounds by the Padres. And even then, like you think he's drafted minor leagues, like wow, Tim Hill made it after all that shit. No, hold the phone for a second. He got colon cancer. Right after he got drafted, while he was in the minors. He Nuts. missed a full year with chemotherapy. Then he came back and finally made the big leagues. Yeah. No, he, like, I knew that he started off with the Royals and then, like, got traded to the Padres or whatever he did. But he was a, he was a California kid. He was, like, a San Diego kind of guy. I think he's from Mission Hills or something like that, which is, yeah. you know, in between there and Los Angeles, whatever it is. I'm not a geographer. But, like... The fact that, one, he's, like, this, like, weird lefty that we don't really see often where he's, like, a sidearm submarine herky-jerky, almost like Steve Ciszek-like, but from the left-hand side, which, like, no one does that. You always think of the submarine guy sidearmers. They're always right-handed. You'll get, like, the left-handed Oliver Perez kind of stuff, like that sidearm, but not consistently. And he also, like, throws kind of hard. He throws, like, 92-93. He's got sick stuff. He's really good. So I'm glad that he's doing well. That's a really cool story. I think, like, a lot of people don't know that. If the dude for, for the rookie, who's like a teacher, who like was like an okay pitcher for the Rays for like a year, can get a movie, Tim Hill should get one. I'm all Definitely. aboard the Tim Hill movie train. And you could possibly play him in the adaptation, as long yeah. as you can, you can mimic the lefty motion. Listen, we don't have to work. My right shoulder is the one that's fucked up. My left shoulder might be completely fine. The way he throws, I could probably learn how to throw a little underhand and get it out there at 92. Kyle Tucker played Ted Williams in the, in the adaptation about his life, so this works perfectly fine. Yeah, but it could happen. Yeah, dive back into the game. We did get a little bit of life in the sixth inning. That might have been against Tim Hill, honestly. <laughs> and yeah. McCann got a home run after Francisco Lindor knock. Which, your boy. My boy. Bo- well, both of our boys, Lindor and McCann, mm-hmm. heating up, dude. Both of them are heating up. I know, like, Lindor, really based on these last seven games, you can take his, like, last 28 or something like that, and he basically has an OPS at, like, 800, which is so funny because his OPS is still, like, 650. But really, this last week, like, this West Coast trip, his bat woke up. He's swinging the bat well. He's balanced at the plate, driving the ball. And same thing with McCann. McCann is just, like... He's not going to be a guy who hits, like, even close to 260 probably ever. He's, like, really more of, like, a 230, 240 hitter, I think, like, at his, like, best. So people are going to see the batting average still low probably and be like, oh, what do you mean he's, like, locked in at the plate? But what we're seeing is the power from him. He's driving the ball. And even though he's had some, like, at-bats where, like, he did look overmatched, there was one, I don't know, game two or game three where it was, like, he got screwed on an outside call that made it 0-2 instead of 1-1, and then he threw a slider in the same spot, had to swing. You got to look into the at-bats a little bit more. He's been having good ones, though. He's hitting the ball hard. He did it again in game one. Definitely. He's driving the ball to the opposite field. He's He literally, like, when he came here, he talked about driving the ball opposite field. And for the first month and a half, he refused to. And it well, he didn't like drive some, the ball anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> had an outfield uh, fly ball tracker on him. But, like, literally, we mentioned it. We're going to keep mentioning it. But, like, 
ever since he fucked up his hat on that dive, that he is it. just taking a deep breath and he's playing his game again, which is nice to see. The Mets need it. Yeah, great to see. The Mets didn't need it. And we really felt like something was going to happen that inning. And then Pete Alonso came up as the pinch hitter when people thought he should have come up in the fourth inning for Taiwan, whatever. He got a big RBI spot. I think for first and second, bases may have been loaded here in the sixth. Yeah. And he hit a back-breaking double play to really take us out of the game. And I support the decision to have Pete Alonso pinch hit. I didn't love that he did it for Mason Williams because with a short bench, VR was still unavailable Thursday night. You're kind of removing two players at once, which sucks. But Pete was up in an RBI chance or whatever. And this was they've done that multiple times now for Mason Williams this series. I remember Friday night they also did that, which I'll just jump ahead and get this point off right now, where they had Dominic Smith pinch hit for Mason Williams. And again, still with no VR available, they burned two players. That sucks with a short bench. You can't, I, don't, I don't like doing that. I like getting the guys, like guaranteeing that these guys will be up in these situations to drive in runs. With that Dom spot, like there was two outs, so there was no guarantee that his spot would even come next inning and down two runs. He might not have a chance to tie the game. But I hate burning two players like that. I hate it. Yeah, like you wish it could have been different, but I also, like your hands are tied at that point. Like it's either you let Mason Williams hit and everyone goes, where's Alonzo? Or you burn two guys. And you you just had to burn two at that point. Didn't really end up mattering. I mean, like we didn't lose. I mean, we didn't lose that game because, like, we burned two position players or whatever. Well, it was no. Pete needed to get a hit there. That was True. really what it came down to. Not really, but to jump ahead to the ninth inning now, we'll get back to the eighth in a second. Nido got the leadoff single as the last man on the bench, and there was no one to run for him. Yeah, but then I guess who would have ran, though? Because they don't, like... Yeah, I mean, it would have been Blankenhorn, who ended up pinch hitting after Pete. Or he, he was the last guy who was oh, used well, on the bench. Oh, well, he came in. Yes, yes he because came he in, came yeah. in to play the outfield because they mm-hmm. then moved, I think, McKinney to center or they moved, like moved Pilar to center, whatever it was. Um, yeah, okay. I, I see your point now with that. I get what you're saying. You could have had Nito run. Definitely. It's not like we lost because Nito couldn't make it home because we didn't get any hits besides the Nito single and the Peraza walk. And the McKinney triple. Well, the McKinney triple is in the eighth thing. I want to talk oh, about okay. the triple for a second because, damn, this guy is an electric factory. He's great. Dad, Billy bombs. My dad's already like, he, he's going to be the right fielder next year. I'm like, my, should... I, I think my dad's on the same train. My dad, when they <laughs> called up Billy or like got Billy McKinney, he's like, this guy's a ball player. I, Billy's going to be my guy. My dad loves finding like a guy who like really doesn't have any business, like being a big fan of like, he loved Matt Reynolds back in the day for like seemingly no reason. He's just like, that's a guy who plays hard nosed baseball. And he's the same way with Billy McKinney, even though he knows nothing about Billy McKinney's career. No. Really generic white guys with white names. <laughs> yeah, he's like, that's a ball player right there. Yeah, but McKinney's been great. He's getting extra base hits out the wazoo since the Mets pulled him up. That ball was like inches away from being a home run. I really thought it was going out. Stupid friggin' right yeah, field the, that the juts curve. out for no reason. Yeah. The real story with that play, I think there's actually two real stories in that two, play. Two. One, yes. something you were very upset about that I agree with you, DeSarcina should have sent him. DeSarcina stinks at third base. Awful. I don't know if he would have been safe, but with two outs. Two outs, just... and you have and Brandon Drury was up next. So it's yeah. not like you had Lindor, Alonzo, no. Dom, one of your guys. You had Brandon Drury, who, as you know, nice of a player as he's been for us, I think Brandon Drury probably go, yeah, you send him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But the real story here, why McKinney couldn't come home, was because Manny Machado made what I think was one of the best plays in Major League Baseball this year. He, the Padres will use him as their shift second baseman, and they let him play like 100 feet in the outfield. Basically shallow right field, yeah. Yeah, but he has such a good arm that he can get outs from there and like knock off tons of ground balls because he also has range. But he tracked that fly ball basically all the way to the wall with whoever was playing right field. Will Myers. 
that was Will Myers, yeah, who's known not a very good fielder. No. But after it took that weird uh, hop off that corner wall and bounced all the way back in the center, where the center fielder was nowhere to be found, Machado hoofed it all the way, got that ball in right center, and hit the cutoff man perfectly on one bounce to hold McKinney at third. Yeah. Why well, wound up saving the whole game, basically. Huge play. Although McKinney, McKinney was running those bases, though. He's got some wheels. I didn't think he could run like that no, well. He's an athlete. First round pick. He's a yeah. competent Major League Baseball player. Does it all. But again, More than competent now. Yeah, he's a good, good, good ass player. But it didn't matter. We got guys on base against Melanson. I wanted to hit that guy so freaking bad this season. This he's, so, he's so not good. For years, I've been bad mouthing Mark Melanson behind his back on Twitter <laughs> with, with friends, colleagues, peers. You've swayed my opinion on Mark yeah, Melanson. Yeah, he completely transformed months. your opinion on him. The guy, fuck that guy. He doesn't strike anybody out. Everything's a soft contact god, but like, whatever. We had men on. Pilar at that double play. Yeah, I, real quick with the Pilar double play thing, because I think that this is also important. Lineup construction, which we've talked about with the Mets team a lot. Yeah. Pilar was leading off that game. It didn't lose us the game. Pilar leading off doesn't lose us. But this, I think if there was ever a game to show someone why leadoff two and three are the most important mm-hmm. guys to have as your best hitters, that was the example. Because Kevin Pilar Definitely. came up in that scenario, double yeah. play. If it's a Lindor, yep. it's not that he wouldn't hit into a double play. It's very likely he could have. But the fact of the matter is that you have your best guys getting the most at-bats possible. That's where, like, having Pilar lead off is so bizarre. So just wanted to throw that out there in case people were always wondering why we talk about that so much. That game was literal proof as to why you have to hit your best hitters one, two, three. And we've even talked about it with Alonzo hitting four behind McCann sometimes. Yeah. Like, why? Oh, my God. I tweeted that. On, that was Friday night. Like, well, how could this possibly be happening? What universe do you want James McCann to get more shots at plate appearances than Pete Alonso, And that happened in game two as well. There was like yes. a big moment where McCann made, I think, the final out of an inning or made just, it no, was like a... It was, to jump into game two, that was when Lindor had the triple, the single triple. Yes. And McCann struck out on a very non-competitive at-bat. Then Pete came up after him, battled, and got out as well. Yeah. So it didn't really matter, but I guess it did kind of matter for momentum. Which yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just like, again, like oh, your no, best the ninth guys. Too. The ninth inning, he also, he blew the rally because Lindor got a hit. McCann had non-competitive at-bat. And then Pete got the hit right after. Yeah. So, like, stacking those two together, higher in the order, like, those guys with the way the Mets lineup is right now. And Friday, Dom Smith didn't even play. Like, the guy's getting it. I get, I get that's a tough lefty, Blake Snell, but we don't have many bats right now. Like, those – Lindor, Alonzo, Smith should be one, two, three when those guys are in the lineup. Because yeah, we need and them to get the air bats. When VR comes back, VR is the leadoff because he's done a great job at leadoff right now. Um, But, yeah, game two. Going up against Blake Snell, who's like Cy Young stuff, we know it. He's got the guts to shut you down at any given moment. And unfortunately for the Mets, he was shut down that night. He was yeah. filthy. That was like the best Blake Snell's probably looked in a very, very long time. He went into the, like, what, seventh inning for the first time ever or something like that? Like, you know, it's since the no, Cy Young his, year. His longest outing since April 2019. First yeah, time since the Cy Young year. April 2019. No, 2018 was the Cy Young year. Oh, Okay. You know, dude, that April 2019 game, by the way, I think I was at that. Was it against? It might have been against the Yankees or something. I think <laughs> I was at that been. game, and I think he was taking a no hitter deep in that one too. It was which was a perfect we- game through the fifth. Yeah, freaking crazy! Like how the fuck? Like two two nights in a row, and that's when I have a hit through the fifth inning. Are you goddamn kidding me? I mean, the Padres made, pitching is good though. So yeah, it is very good. Like I get that, but the hit, a hit, a fucking hit, just one. <laughs> Please get a hit, and especially. This game felt like it was going to be a long one because Snell off the jump, you were like, this guy's right. He figured yeah. it out. Like something clicked again with him. He was gassing 97. He was throwing tons of curveballs, locating them. Sure. I don't know if he's going to be good now forever after this because the Mets lineup is pretty bad. But 
to have Snell shut us down in the first inning. You felt like it was weird. He had it back. And Machado hit that nuker at yeah. the bottom of the inning. I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, like, there's Lucchese. There's Joey. Yeah. Like, But the irony is Lucchese actually looked, like, pretty good after the bomb. Like, he really settled down. Yeah, and he, he was, like... We're not going to go that he's good yet, of course, because no, we're, we're still sane, sane people. But he was a competitive, he was a competent major league pitcher that night. Yes, he was. And the big thing that Joey Fuego had this game where there was some Fuego involved. He was throwing his hardest churves of the season. Got that baby up to 83 miles an hour. And Gary oh, yeah. was like, oh, got that one pretty hard. Average velo on the churve was up two miles an hour on Friday night compared to his year-long average. So that's something we can hang our hat on maybe that's something him and Hefner have been working with everyone else in this rotation has been gaining velocity so maybe Joey Fuego's there too it didn't lead to whiffs though so he's still not anything 16% whiffs on the game he still just doesn't have stuff whatsoever and I echo your point that it's not time to be like we gotta get Joey Lucchese some more innings the guy's a major league pitcher that's not where we're at yeah I'm seeing some people on Twitter being like this Lucchese guy is pretty good and I'm like well how about he's not that bad that's what yeah. it should really be. It's, he's not that bad. He's not good. He's just not that bad. Yeah, we have to like climb stairs to give Lucchese compliments. It's like, this guy fucking sucks. This guy's not good. This guy's okay. This guy's not bad. I'll, right I'll allow him to pitch every five days when we have guys missing. Yeah, sure. I think maybe he can get skipped next week because we have the off days, the double off day. But Definitely. We'll, cro- we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, even though they actually have him scheduled right now to still pitch. But whatever. Yada, yada, yeah. yada. Get into that seventh inning. That was a backbreaker. When Lindor's on third base with nobody out, and we're only down one run at the time, and our three, four, and five hitters couldn't even put the ball in play to drive him home. Shit the bed. Oh, really shit the bed. McCann had his an April at bat. It was fucking awful. Was that the at bat though that he got the bad call in the outside corner, and then the slide? Who was pitching that that inning? It was still Snell. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, it yeah, wasn't he, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he did have a bad call. Drury had a very bad call, and he took himself out of the at-bat immediately. Yes. And Pete, okay, and Pete that's had, what yeah, I was thinking. Was, and Pete had, like, a six-pitch battle, and he was getting good will on it, but he just, like, he couldn't get around on Blake Snell's fastball, which sucked. And he Snell gave him two hittable curves <sighs> in the so zone fat. with two strikes, and you almost wish that Pete could have sat breaking ball for those pitches because then when he did get another fastball, he just popped it up, and the at-bat was over, which stunk. Because Lindor, like, that was like, there he is. That's yes. Francisco friggin' Lindor. That's our guy right there. By the way, just a Lindor comment here. He is a fantastic base runner. He cuts oh, the bases great. so well. He's a fantastic baseball player. He's a superstar. Like, yeah, he's Mets just fans, so good. He's been getting a lot of shit because he hasn't been great. We know that. I think people forgot that he's one of the best players in baseball. And people are like, oh, the, the stupid, well, how could we not talk about the Washington Post article? I think that came out last Monday. Yeah. The worst statistician on the, on the history of the earth. Yeah. Oh, he said the percentage of, of hits uh, at bats per hit for Francisco Lindor. You mean fucking batting average, you idiot? <laughs> What's wrong with you? That, that, <laughs> That's that so are, bad. That article was like a slap in the face to any baseball analyst ever. Yeah. Ever. All time. Even the guys from like the 1930s and shit who were talking about batting average and what they saw. Like, what a fucking joke. Whatever. Lindor is heating up since then. I can't wait to dunk on that asshole nerd loser's grave at the end of the season. I got so many tweets bookmarked about how Lindor is a waste of money. He's not that good. I'm like, it's incredible how you could say that after 40 games when you know the season is 162. Yeah. Like, that's so crazy. I'm sure I'm bookmarked for all my McCann hate, but we'll take that. That happens. <laughs> no worries. The real story of this game, though, came in the bottom of the seventh inning when, for some reason, unbeknownst to me, Drew Smith came out for a second inning of work. 
and we are the preeminent Drew Smith podcast on the internet. No one loves Drew Smith more than me and Mark. Drew Flo, he's a king, he's a god, he runs that C team with Jacob Barnes. Like, this guy is a piece, and I'm confident in that. That being said, he's not a two-winning pitcher. No, not yet. I don't know if he ever will be, but definitely not right now, especially, like, coming off of, like, he's still kind of being, like, slowly brought back into the, like, bullpen. Like, they seem to be very, it seems like very much like he's pitching today. He's coming mm-hmm. in at some point. That's it, and then he's done. Well, the reason he even got work, and I think they wanted him to throw a second inning because he hadn't pitched in eight days. Yeah. So I think they were like, Drew's fresh. He looked good in that inning. He did look very good in that sixth inning, so send it back out there. But the second Will Myers laces a double to start the inning, got you got to take him out. And then he was even ahead of Profar and hit him with a two-strike pitch right in yeah. the kneecap, which is like, now you take him out. He also did get screwed, though, on that. Tucapita Marcano. Yeah. First of all, strike. Second yes. off, he swung. So yes. two strikes, and somehow Marcon Tukapita was walking back to the dugout. The umpire's like, "No, he didn't go," and he's like, "All right, I guess I didn't. I guess that's a walk." <laughs> and Marcano's thing is that he is like a contact dude. Like even through the minor leagues, like he never strikes out, he never walks. So he has great plate discipline. So he was laying off that light pitch, and that strike zone was a fucking shit show Friday night anyway. Quinn Walcott or whatever? Oh. What the hell kind of name is Quinn Walcott, by the way? That's two last names. That sounds like a name of like someone who lived in the South in the 1800s, like, but like wasn't wealthy. Yeah. Like, Quinn, Quinn Walcott was like the, the tailor of, he of was, the town. He was a cobbler. Yeah, a locksmith or something. Yeah. A, a, an iron welder. Like, he made a living. But he wasn't wealthy. Quinn Walcott. Like, a side character in, like, a realistic fiction book about, like, the antebellum America. But, like, to digress. Like, he had Marcano out. That situation wasn't good. And the Familia came into the top of the order. And it was just not a good situation for Yeri's Familia. It wasn't. It wasn't. Now, you can't bring him in, like, with bases juiced. I don't... Were the bases loaded at that point? first or and we, second. That okay. Because I like, think... Well, maybe it was bases loaded, honestly. I don't know if he gave up two runs or one. But Myers hit the double... And then Profar got hit, so first and second. Then Marcano walked, so the bases Yeah, bases loaded. loaded. You definitely can't yeah. bring Jerry's Familia in with bases loaded. Just because no. he is so volatile with how he's going to be. He's either pounding the strike zone looking filthy, or he doesn't have it. And he did not have it for those first two batters. He could not find the zone. It also didn't help that McCann was not helping him out behind the plate either. No, McCann dropped that ball. He lost the, lost the strike he should have had. I think that was in the Machado at bat. But really, I can't think of a worse matchup for Jerry's Familia than Tommy Pham. Yeah, terrible. The guy doesn't chase anything. Familia doesn't throw any actual strikes. No, Familia lives by because you become impatient and swing. And you hit that stupid fucking sinker, and he just didn't. He just didn't swing at it. And Tommy Pham took his walk. Machado came up. He took his walk, and that's the year's Familia experience. Sometimes he's just gonna walk some people, and he did happen to do it twice with the bases loaded. And that basically took us out of this game. But you know, ninth inning came up. I think it's important to note that McCann got tossed from the game. He had yes. enough. He did and not Rojas. like the and Rojas, and I was fucking loving it. I Me was too. I wanted to tweet about it, but I told Twitter good night because I had enough. When Familia walked the two guys, I think I was done. But I like I loved seeing McCann get pissed because he was like, "I'm not playing this. The game's over. So fuck you. You suck." And then he got tossed real quick, and Rojas came out and immediately called him a motherfucker, which I love. I love when guys call umpires motherfuckers. Yeah. But the best thing that I loved about Rojas going out there one was like it seemed like it was just like a whew, it was a de-stressor. Ninth yeah. inning, trying to fire up the team with the last two at bats that you have in the game. Cool with it. Love it from like a motivation standpoint. But also, he just started calling out every umpire. He pointed, yeah, he and pointed this guys. motherfucker, and you asshole, and you, you all fucked us. Like, he was <laughs> dropping F-bombs left and right, which you never see from Luis Rojas. The no. dude is calm, cool, and collected. 
And I honestly, I'm going to say something crazy here. I think it played to the Mets' advantage the rest of the series because we started getting some calls. 100% it did. 100% did. And that will take us into game three. And I love the idea of setting your team on fire. Like, I always say that, like, when you have a players-only meeting or, like, when a manager gets ejected and you're trying to get a spark, you got to make sure your ace is going the next day. You're not doing that on a whim. Like, we're not we're not firing up the team with David Peterson on the hill. Lucchese, yeah, pitching no, the next yeah, day. No, yeah. <laughs> Luis Rojas was like, we just lost two in a row. I'm going to get the boys hot. DeGrom's pitching tomorrow is going to work. And it fucking worked. Yes. Because DeGrom did get tons of calls on Friday night. Like, that's not the story of DeGrom's night. But it's kind of like like Michael Jordan, LeBron, like in the NBA. Like, when you're a superstar, like fucking Trey, bitch-ass young, you're going to get calls. And DeGrom was getting all those, like, inch, half-inch off the plates. Like, they were bringing it back, needle, bringing it in, bringing it in, bringing it in. It worked. But that's not the story of Jacob DeGrom. The story of Jacob DeGrom is that he is the best pitcher on planet Earth. And if you don't agree with that, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, Bill James is a fucking idiot. He has Garrett Cole ahead of him by a good margin. Then Bauer is real close. So, yeah, Bill James, thanks for sabermetrics, I guess, but also, like, how did it go so wrong? Yeah, the game has passed Bill James by. Anyone who still follows him on Twitter can, can, will know that for sure. But I'm in the camp now where I think that we're actually watching like the greatest stretch of any pitcher of all time. Like He does things every single star. You're just like, wow, it's a spectacle. Jacob DeGrom is a spectacle. He's a must-watch television. He literally has the best nine starts to start a season ever, ever in the history of baseball. He has the lowest DRA. He has, like strikeout-wise, he's comparable to Pedro Martinez's like Cy Young record-breaking year we had like the 180 RA or whatever he had and he gave up half the hits by the way and half the walks and like same amount of home runs whatever and then they also compared it to Bob Gibson's year which is like the gold standard you know of like best pitching years of all time 1.1 1.1 or whatever it was and he Bob Gibson didn't strike out as many guys because of the era of course but DeGrom had like two times the strikeouts technically and he had half the hits and half the walks and it's like he's doing stuff that like actually isn't real like he shouldn't be whatever 60 innings into a season and give up 24 hits only that's insane yeah <laughs> we're third of the way through right now his era is less than 0.7 the other season i listed on our notes along with pedro in 2000 and gibson 68 that similar was that crazy arietta run in 2016 oh, yeah that that's up there too because he went like Eight nine starts and he gave up like less like less than ten hits. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable. But Degrom is doing it in a different way because he's just only throwing fastballs and sliders. He just didn't, and they're all in the same spot too. They showed like the graphic of his strikeout and everything's low and away to a right-handed batter. He could tell the guys like fastball low and away, and what are they gonna do? He has thrown the twenty fastest pitches of all starting pitchers in baseball this year. That's crazy. That's stupid. It's not even, no one's even close to him. He is in such a category above the rest of the league right now. Like It's becoming historic, like we've just talked about. And it's amazing to be a part of, especially because, again, he threw out his changeup, basically, and has only thrown like three or four curveballs all year. It's just the fastball and slider, and no one is near it. No one can't touch it. The, the other crazy thing about Jacob deGrom, which like it's a little more of just like the the freak that he is he's the 56th fastest player in major league baseball as well because he like he hit that ball on the ground like on a double play and beat it out easily and it was like how and i looked up his sprint speed he has like a 28.5 foot per second like sprint speed which puts him like tied for the top 50 with guys that are like great athletes like it doesn't make and he throws 102 he's a great athlete yeah the only thing we could take away from the ground in this game is that he went over three from the plate yeah. They slumping. Yeah, step it up, Jacob. We need you to carry this offense a little bit more. Although he didn't need to because the boys went out and they scored against Joe Musgrove, who's a good pitcher. 
is a good pitcher. Musgrove actually had more whiffs than DeGrom in this game, which I found pretty funny. He had, what, like 12 or 13 strikeouts or 11 through 5? Like, he had a good he's, game. He's amazing, yeah. But once we did get into that fifth inning, we got our, the fucking bombs from my boy Peraza, who's been rock solid, competent Major League Baseball player. And fucking Francisco Lindor heating up. Let's go. You Left-handed, to too. The, yeah, that, that, that was a very good hit, swing left-handed. You alluded to his um seven-game stretch here, and I actually pulled the stats from it. He had a little four-game, 15-at-bat hitless streak like through that Sunday in Miami where Jan Moda got crushed in the first couple games against the Rockies. But since that Saturday game in Atlanta where he hit that bomb, the 13-run explosion that we had, he's hitting 406 with a 424 on base, 719 slugging, which is ironic because all season he'd been walking, and that was his thing. And he has drawn no walks over the last week as he's been hitting the ball. So that's going to be something to watch moving forward, but not an issue, whatever. Five extra base hits, 10 run score, and a 214 WRC+. plus. So this guy is becoming the guy that we all expected during the offseason that we got him during spring training when he was lighting the world on fire. And I think we're going to get one of those like classic Francisco Lindor hot streaks now coming up. Yeah, Ron even alluded to it in the game today where Lindor fouled off a couple pitches. And he said, that's how you know he's back is because earlier in the season, he just weakly puts that into play, either as a weak fly ball or a weak ground ball, and gets out. He goes, but he's fouling him off because he knows like he, he's comfortable in the box. Everything's doing right. He's just like, get, get it out of here. Give me the next one. Give me the next one. He's not trying to put every single ball in play that he sees, which it's it's nice. He's just, see, he, we can take a deep breath, Mets fans. Yeah. Like, he's coming. He's coming. You can take a deep breath. I am officially off the hook for Chalupa Batman. Yeah, he's at 659 now. I don't think you yeah. have to worry about 600 Clear. at all. I'm ready to rock. That's freaking awesome. Another cool thing about this game is Lugo. He came in in the eighth inning, so it seems like he's going to get back into that role as being one of the primary setup men for Edwin Diaz, which is so cool that we're getting him back as Trevor May is kind of struggling after Miguel Castro had a little bit of a cold streak that now he's gotten, gotten hot again. But just to take the pressure off those guys and have that three-headed monster before we get to Diaz in the ninth is electric. He also, his velocity was up about a mile an hour across the board, all of his pitches since that first outing. So he's going to get stronger, he's going to get better, and he is one of the best relievers in baseball, and everyone's going to remember it. Just the pitch mix alone, like from a reliever, doesn't happen. And that's one of the reasons why, like when they first made that move to him as a reliever, they were so excited. They were like, because he has a pitch mix of like three or four legitimately good different pitches, oh, yeah. and he's going to be able to go 120% balls to the wall with those three to four different mm-hmm. pitches. So that's just something you don't see from relievers, especially top guys. Chapman's fastball slider, and now he has the splitter, which is a little weird, and that's dangerous. Hater's yeah. fastball slider. Like, they are two-pitch pitchers. Liam Hendricks. Like, they, these guys are all two-pitch pitchers. I thought Hendricks had a third. Doesn't he do fastball change-up curve? The change-up's not, like, huge or whatever. Yeah. But, like, having the ability to, one, have, like, really good stuff, and then also have three to four really good things as a reliever makes him so valuable, and he can give us length when he's healthy. Like, Dude, bringing yes. him back's huge. And he debuted a sinker this time out, where I think he's always had a two-seamer, but Savant categorized it as a sinker. I don't think the Padres are ready for it, because Lugo threw it three times, and all three of them he got a call strike with. Yeah, no way they were ready. No, which is cool. And then Diaz closed the door, a little bit of trouble there, yada yada, but he threw his hardest pitch of the season at 102 miles an hour. Friggin' which is heat. Not even fair. He's just, he's great. Love Edwin. He's Love so him. good. He's so freaking good. My like, 70-year-old uncle was over today. He's like, oh, this guy Edwin, he gives me so much stress. I'm like, 
do you understand the other relievers in baseball? Like, how could you complain about Edmund Diaz? He's like, absolutely, no question about it, a top five closer in the league right now. Yeah, 100% for the 2021 season, even including 2020. He's top five, without a doubt. That's, 100%. That is the player the Mets traded for. And that outfielder on the Mariners doesn't have a hit since May 26th. Yeah, he's been uh, stinking a little bit. Weird little fact here. There was a guy that like I'm friendly with around like draft MLB draft circles, prospect guy, who wrote an article talking about how he he predicted this to a T with Kalanick. And he goes, really? and it's not because he goes, he's going to be a star. He's going to be sick. He goes, but he's going to come up and he's going to struggle. And that's going to be the first time he's ever dealt with any sort of adversity in his life. He goes, he did it like for like a week in the minors and it tumbled and someone got to him quickly enough. He goes, but he's going to get to the majors and he's probably going to be staying here. They're not going to send him back down again because he doesn't seem like he's a guy who handles adversity well. So that's going to be part of his like growth thing with like being a great young star. He's a dude who like, I mean, we saw it in the videos about him. He's very cocky. He knows he's good. He went out and bought a G wagon with like his paycheck immediately and was showing it off to everybody. So he's a guy who knows what's up. He knows what kind of player he is. Dealing with adversity is going to be huge for him. We saw Edwin Diaz deal with adversity, and he's come back stronger. So, you know what, yes. Jerry Kellenick, go ahead. go Come back stronger. We got our guy with Diaz now. He's pitching well. I have no complaints anymore. Definitely. We're going to get dunked on for the next 10 years with Kellenick because that's just what happens on social media with other teams and like media outlets around baseball. So when he's doing bad, I want to mention it. Yeah, and you know what? When the Mets get a World Series inevitably at some point and Edwin Diaz is throwing that last pitch in that game, I don't give a shit about what we made in that trade anymore. We got a, we got a World Series in my lifetime. I can die happy. I'm going to still care about it. I'd like to have Jerry Kellen playing <laughs> center field right now, but that's neither here nor there. Let's move on to game four because this game was another four. great game for the New York Mets. Parlayed that awesome momentum that we built on Saturday into a fucking split with the Padres, and it all started with my boy, our boy, Marcus Goddamn Stroman. He's been so good. I've said over and over again, he is the most important player on this team. Like, yeah, Jacob DeGrom, Francisco Lindor, like, we need those guys, those decide Young and MVP candidates that we had that would pay a lot of money. But Stroman is the piece where, like, if you take that piece out, all of this crumbles. But if that piece is in there and it's stable, we can all stand up on top of him. Because he's giving us innings, he's giving us outs, strikeouts, keeping us in every single game. He is freaking awesome. Got a little nervous about him last couple weeks. He had a couple not-so-great starts in a row. But he is just putting it together over and over again. It's amazing to watch. Literally, the one run he gave up today was his own doing because he got a little cocky. Hot dog did a little bit. There was mm-hmm. a little chopper right back to him from Tatis, which would have been so huge. The Mets like went up, you know, three nothing. Little chopper right back to him. Stroman is a great fielder, gold glove guy. Yes. Like, and he loves showing off the glove. Yeah, he always points to it. Got a little cocky, kind of like scooped it up with some flair and like, you know, kind of doing his thing to Pete and looked like he threw him like a curveball, spiked it right into the ground. Pete didn't also do a great job trying to scoop it. Pete kind of just like stone-handed a little bit and then it got away. I don't know how it got so far away, by the way. It wasn't thrown hard. Pete (laughs) made two of the worst plays I've ever seen in my life back-to-back. He just shut down his leg like that happens. I think that as the ball squirted away, for some, he always tries to make a big play. Like that's the nature of Pete Alonso. So he slid down and like made like a middle infielder play, tried to nail Tatis at second. And I think as he back, was falling I, into the net. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think his on his windup, he actually hit the net and he just lost control of the ball and talk about spiked it. He sent the ball behind home plate, <laughs> behind first base. He, out of play. <laughs> it literally went out of play. I don't know how. Oh my god. And it was kind of cool that um, I lost my train of thought here. It was kind of cool that if you watch that play closely. Tatis wasn't even aware of what happened at first because Lindor held the tag on him. Yeah. 
and it made him hesitate for a second. It almost made him not get to third. Of course, the ball was, again, behind home plate, and he was running to third base, so no one's getting him out. But that was a cool little, little heady play by Lindor. You love that shit. Lindor does that stuff. He used to, dude, all series long, how many, like, hugs and talking to guys and conversations? Oh, him and Machado were hilarious. Well, it was on third base, I think, after the triple, and he was, like, fake yeah. and stealing home. I think he was yeah. straight up talking to the pitcher, and he's like, ah, I'm not going to do it. Don't worry about me. Like, you know, I was like, this guy's a, he's a character. He's a character. But, yeah, but... That, that weird play from Stroman, whatever, happens. He did get us the run back the next inning, yeah, he did. which was really fucking cool. After, I think we had a double play that erased a leadoff hit. Peraza, my guy, heady Boy. play, saw Mateo all the way basically in the outfield grass, dropped a beauty of a drag bunt down the first pitch of the at-bat, no play at all, and then Stroman fucking laced a double right down the line, and aggressive DiSarcina sent Peraza, got us a massive run. Thank God he sent... Well, did you see they cut to the bench... And everybody on yeah. the bench is like, send him, send him, yeah. go. They're like, go. And Rojas is like, he better fucking send him. Like, he was like, <laughs> he was pissed. He's like, he's going. He's got to go. Because I think they all know that DSRC is a little trigger hat or trigger shy sometimes when he's over there at third base. He just has no sense of the trigger. He's either trigger shy or trigger happy. It's it's not good. We got jo- to Joe Neshwi Fargus versus, you know, you can even go back to like the Juan Lagares thing from uh, yeah. 2019 season where he was all mm-hmm. over the place. But. It was good. He also, after he made the error, uh, Stroman, I don't know if you watched or if you noticed, but he got like a big strikeout and immediately turned around and screamed, fuck, like loud, shouted. He was pissed. And then he threw, there was like one pitch that he threw that might have broke literally from the outside corner to the inside corner. And Will Myers was, got blown up by it. It was insane. It was a crazy sinker that like cut all the way in. And I actually wrote this in the notes because his sinker at his highest whiff rate of the season today at 46%. And this was one of the starts where Stroman like, was just pushing the sinker, pushing the sinker, pushing the sinker. So that's like a pretty weird thing. Maybe it's a, a new sinker because generally you're never going to sustain 50% whiffs on a sinker. It's a contact-oriented pitch. But it's very cool that he did that. But something to monitor with Stroman before I get into his full breakdown was all of his velocity and RPMs were down across all of his pitches. And as we have the goo crackdown around Major League Baseball, foreign substances are going to be reprimanded. Pitchers using foreign substances are going to be reprimanded. We saw Cole's RPMs down. We saw Bauer's RPMs down today. This is something that's going to happen. So this is something to definitely monitor with Stroman because you're naive to think that your team isn't using foreign substances. Everyone in the league's using it, every single person. So we have to keep an eye now on Stroman to see where his stuff is at in these next couple starts. Like He was effective today, but this could maybe be less effective in the future i don't know i don't know just something to watch he did lose control a little bit today he walked like four guys i think through four yeah. innings at one point and that's just not stroman like he has a 1.8 walk per nine that puts about a nine for the game so that's like crazy um so uh, you know definitely something to monitor but he still got the job done he was still so good definitely dude he threw four pitches at least 19 times which is dope you love seeing that arsenal like a lot of different pitches i love, love seeing that 32 percent whiffs overall very good one of his highest rates of the season only caveat was he only threw one fastball. That one fastball did get a whiff. I'm going to clamor for Marcus Stroman to throw that pitch more the entire season as long as he doesn't. But take our win. He had a great game. He did his job. It's freaking awesome. Yep. And then offensively, we got some nice stuff there. Billy McKinney, Billy Bombs got his first single as a New York Met. Got two mm-hmm. of them, actually. Yep. He's like just he's a good little player. I think if we're going to do like this non-Francisco Lindor leadoff, I like him over Pilar because at least Billy McKinney seems to be patient at the plate as well, where Pilar has never been a guy who walks. No, he doesn't. And McKinney isn't really a walker either. I think he can be, but he's at least hot right now. So let's if we want to do a hot-hand approach with that leadoff until we get Nimmo back, until Conforto, McNeil are back, sure, let's do it. I'm cool with that. 
Dom hit a bomb today too. Well, Dom Big. bomb. Got the hips, baby. It's all yeah. in the hips. Dom Smith. He's been listening to uh, Chubbs or Chubbs. whatever his name is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dom just watched Billy Madison last week, and now he's been hot ever since. Who could have thunk it? But look good. Dom look, look good. Keep this lineup looks much longer when Dom is hitting, and he's been hitting for the last week. When Dom's hitting, and even just having Pete back in the lineup makes it so much yeah. longer. And then like yeah. McCann stepping up when it, like when he gets into the game, although he didn't play well today by any means, but that's going to happen. He's a 230 hitter, like we said. The Mets did enough what they needed to do offensively to win this game. Castro came in and was sick again because Miguel Castro has just turned into a creative player in MLB The Show who throws 101 miles an hour and just throws heat with every pitch that he has. Dude, 95-mile-an-hour changeup today. That's not fair. Laugh-out-loud funny. His hardest of the year. <laughs> like, is that even a changeup anymore? That's harder than Joey Lucchese has ever thrown a baseball. Ever? It's harder than he's ever thrown a baseball in his dreams. <laughs> It's ridiculous. May came in for the ninth in a non-safe situation after we got a big lead. How did we get that lead? How did we extend that lead in the eighth? Someone hit we the home run, right? got... What did we do? Someone hit a home run. Yeah, I got to think about it. I think McCann hit a home run after you just trashed him. McCann did hit a home run. Oh, yeah. McCann did hit a home run because yeah. I said... <laughs> I'm getting all the... There's four games we got to talk about. There's so many. but Because I, I tweeted, McCann is so, so back. And people were like, no, he's not. He was never good. And I was like, hey, Padres fans... Uh, fucking cry more, please, because you were talking so much shit before the series and you split with the AAA Mets, but I'll save my rant for a little bit later. But yeah, McCann, big homer. May, just something is fundamentally wrong with Trevor May. I don't know what it is, but they're like, since the month of May came around, would go figure, his namesake, he has been just off. He hasn't been bad by any means, but he hasn't been lights out like we saw. I don't know if we maybe got a little too excited about what we saw from him and we're like kind of you know like riding like the high and the low and just like thinking it's a really bigger downgrade than it actually has been i don't know i'm I'm a little concerned with him i don't know i'm not that concerned with him just because we saw like what he can be and like all of the stuff is still there it's just simply either mechanical or just there's something he's not doing right now because he's not getting that fastball location he was getting during the month of april like he'll iron this out like relievers there's ebbs and flows with relievers Especially a guy like May who throws so hard, who puts so much into every appearance. Like, he'll be fine. Now the luxury of having Lugo back is we could reduce May's role a little bit. Less yeah. less high leverage situations. Let him figure his shit back out. He'll be there. He got bailed out by that Lindor diving play in the ninth. Sick play. How did they... First off, how did he get to that ball? And second off, how did they get Jorge Mateo at second? I don't care how hard that ball is hit. This dude is a superhuman on the base paths. And for some reason, he was out by 30 feet. Yeah, I think Mateo's the fastest player in in the league he's top five at least yeah yeah but that was amazing bailed him out because all three of the batted balls heading had been laced to that point including that one and you were kind of nervous that the heart of the san diego order was coming up and may didn't look good but whatever we did it got the outs won the game split the series with the padres put our stamp as one of the better teams in the national league which will lead you directly into this rant that's going to be part of our bad mets takes of the week i think yeah after it so you know i'm a a man of twitter i love to tweet here and there and after the brave series or was after the brave series which one was it maybe after the diamondbacks i talked about how like you know we used to be lol you know lol mets but we're in first place with a triple a double a lineup some games we've had the most guys on the il we have used 45 different players this year in 45 different in 45 games that's unheard of. That's an insane number. I know the Padres have dealt with injuries too, but they're not even close to the Mets. They might have had guys on longer, but they haven't had as many on at one time. This Mets team has gone through all the rigors of a season that you would want over a full season. They did it in a month, and they came out that month with a winning record 
in first place with a commanding lead, looking like a good baseball team playing Jose friggin' Peraza at second base. Nobody wanted this guy. He took a minor league deal with the Mets. Took a minor league deal. It's ended up paying huge dividends. Huge shout out to the GM, the front office, everybody for making those moves because they really have not missed on the guys that they've been picking up so far. But to go back to the thing, tweet about how it seems like baseball Twitter is starting to hate the Mets. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love it. I'm mm -hmm. kind of cool with it because you only hate things that are good. You only hate things that you're jealous about. No one hates the Rockies. No one hates the Orioles because they stink. You hate Besides them. Their own, their, their own fans hate them. Yeah, I mean, but that's like more so Jeff Burdich or whatever his name was. That's really his fault. But you only hate things that are good. You know, no one hates things that are bad. And in terms of sports, obviously, there's bad things that everyone hates. But yeah, not the point of the story. People were coming at me and saying, oh, the Mets play in a bad division. This team stinks. They can't beat good teams. Even today, people, when I tweeted out, like, the Mets just split a series on the road against the Padres, who are considered to be one of the top three teams in all of baseball. And people were like, oh, look, like you said, we can't beat good teams because we're in a bad division. You said this or that. They're like, oh, the Mets are 4-12 and 12 against teams like, you know, over 500. Wow, that is a true statistic, 100% yes. true. Why does that take away from us being the Padres on the road this time? What does, what does that statistic have to do with the Mets going into San Diego and honestly playing better baseball than the Padres for most of the series? I'm Definitely. confident in saying that. There's a universe where the Mets could have swept the series. Yes, very really easily. Is. Even taking three out of the four, if they could have gotten to Valencian one time, or if one of those double plays from Thursday night just finds a hole rather than a glove, if there's a different shift. The Mets did play a better series than the Padres. The Mets were scrappy. There was not a moment this series where the Mets were out of the game against one of the better teams in baseball who had, I would say, they're not, they're three of their best pitchers on the mound. Like, I don't feel like the Padres had a chance to win in game three or game four. The Mets had a chance in game one and two. Both games had chances to take a lead there, where the Padres no. really didn't have a shot in game three or four. No. We didn't even mention today that Pete got a big uh, ribby single off Rat Fuck Chris Paddock. Yeah. And you could see the entire bench was very excited about yeah, that. The Sheriff is a fucking loser. That guy stinks. The sheriff. Again, anyone with the nickname The Sheriff, you need a new nickname. He should throw that curveball more, though. That pitch was pretty filthy today. Yeah, definitely. He's still good. Like, whatever. I'm not going to take anything away from Chris Paddock, but I don't like people taking away from the Mets. And that record against teams above 500 is going to change a lot next week when the Braves and Phillies both go over 500. I just, it also bothers me too because like people were literally, I'm going to get a little, you know, French here, were sucking Aaron Boone off when the Yankees had injuries and they were playing well when they were playing Talkman and all these guys. The Mets are doing it. Not a word from the media. Nobody's no. talking about the adversity the Mets have gone through. Nobody's talking about all the injuries. It is literally Anthony DeComo, who seems to be the only good Mets beat writer, mm -hmm. and like legitimate Mets fans. But everybody else is like, this team's not legit. I don't know what they have to do to prove to you that they're good. They just beat the Padres with friggin' Mason Williams, who they out who picked up from a DFA. Like, what? There's not much the Mets can do to make me think they're more legit right yes. now. I think the Mets are very clearly the third best team in the National League, just because I still don't buy the Cubs pitching staff. No, absolutely ESPN not. ESPN actually had a feature article a few weeks ago, I think I mentioned it in another podcast, but I'll mention it for the new listeners, where they wrote an entire article about the team who's gone through the most adversity and fought through the most injuries as the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, which is just ridiculous. Who, who's gotten hurt in the Cubs? Oh who's no, Alec Mills? What are we going to do? <laughs> I think Rizzo missed like a week. Yeah. We've been playing for a month without any players, and we have one of the biggest divisional leads in baseball. We took the Padres. The Braves took a series from the Dodgers this weekend. No one mentioned that. Oh, that the Braves might be good now. We play in a bad division, so we can't, we oh, can't talk about the Braves the Mets, beating the, the Dodgers. The Mets couldn't win the AL East. The AL East is so good. It is yeah. pretty good, sure. 
The Yankees fucking suck. Fuck the Yankees. Got swept by the Red Sox at home. First Wait, they lost? Yes. Oh, let's go. That's a live reaction. I didn't know they <laughs> lost tonight. Let's go. Yeah, so just peep the scoreboard when you're on your end. Hell Getting yeah. Getting ready let's for our go. Orioles preview. I but love that. But Mets fans, get excited. There's something special happening around this team right now. We have something called good juju. We got the juju, baby. We got some juju. Things are going to happen. It's going to be a very fun summer in Queens. Get to some games, 90% attendance starting this Friday night. We'll both be there to see DeGrom, slice up these very same Padres. It's going to be some sick vibes. But before that happens, we have a quick little two-game set with the Orioles. And I intend to pulverize that shit team. We need to... Our you know run differential is, I still think, green. I think we're back in the green again. Yeah, we're green. We got to get that thing like towards like the plus 50. Because there's no reason <laughs> that we should go into Camden and not score 25 runs a game. Well, no, because we're going to be facing our old friend Matt Harvey on Wednesday evening. And you see who we're facing Tuesday? Your boy Bruce. My boy Bruce. Yeah. I, I got to get him my boy Bruce. He's actually looked kind of good recently. That game, I don't know what's going to happen because Peterson has been a disaster and Bruce Zimmerman has been okay. And the ball's going to be flying out of Camden. Once yeah. you hit June in Camden Yards, it's fucking home run derby season. That's what made Glaber Torres look like a decent Major League Baseball player. Well, yeah, he's still going to have that run in August in Camden Yards. Where he's going to hit five home runs in a three-game series. and his, his stats will look good again, but that's just something that happens. we got to win that game 10-8, and we have to win Wednesday's game 14-0. Yeah. There's no excuse for not taking both from the Orioles here. They're just a bad baseball team. It's simple. They're not yeah. good. And it, Trey Mancini's great. Yeah, Trey Mancini's great. My boy Mullins. Mm-hmm. That's about He's it. He's been very hot. I mean, they they have a couple relievers who are worth half a shit. Paul Fry's okay. Cole Solsler, who we trashed a couple months ago, is suddenly good. <laughs> I mean, I like uh, what's his name, Tanner Scott too. He's got some good yeah. stuff. No, these guys are fine. Sure. The only thing I'm worried about with this Orioles series is a game getting rained out because there's been some rain in the forecast for this week. That's terrifying. Besides that, let's fuck this team up. Yeah, have to have to take two here. Splitting is not an option. You got to win both games because no. you literally are just the better team. The Orioles won, what, like four games in the month of May, I think. The Orioles, kill them. Yeah, they're bad, and especially against Harvard, we got to put them in the dirt again because I don't need to hear that conversation after the Mets are playing well. We should not even be talking about him. Did you see in the broadcast today, they flashed his stats from before the game against us and after? Horrendous. He's over 12 ERA since we annihilated him on that Thursday afternoon. It's, It's almost, hear me out, it's almost like Matt Harvey just isn't good anymore. Well, as we know, he is not good. Yeah. And... Let's crush him again. Hopefully Taiwan gets back on track. Hopefully Peterson gets back on track. But the bats got to stay hot, and let's get after this Orioles team. And let's go into next weekend's series against the Padres. It's going to be the premier series of this early season. We'll talk much more about it next episode. The vibes are going to be high. They're going to be much higher after we sweep the Orioles. Let's get after it. And the fans are going to be let back into the stadium. Get vaccinated, everybody, because, mm-hmm. one, it's good. It's good for mm-hmm. you. Do yes. it. But, two, Science. you can start going to games because I had the – I got vaccinated last week, and I'm not the two weeks yet on, you know, this Friday game coming oh. up. So I had to buy a ticket in a non-vaccinated section, which is so minuscule now in the stadium. So, like, me and my dad and his friend are sitting, like, 339, I think. So it's, like, basically the most center field in left field, if you know what I'm saying. It's, like, <laughs> left center. Exactly what you're so, like, it's going to end up being fine. We got, like, second row. It's going to be good. But, like, there were so many open seats on, like, SeatGeek and StubHub. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, I can't sit there because it hasn't okay. been two weeks. So go get vaccinated so you can go to games because the atmosphere is going to be electric. And when Edwin Diaz comes out to the trumpets now, everyone's going to be bumping. It's going to be sick. Edwin, Jacob DeGrom's going to hand the ball to Edwin Diaz. And the place is going to be in a tizzy. I also want to call my shot for the listeners at home. I feel like we might get a black jersey debut next weekend. Okay. With fans in the stadium, Padres, national television. I think something might happen. I don't know if they actually even said we're going to have black jerseys this year. 
Steve said it. So here's what's happening is Nike is only rolling out those city jerseys to like seven or eight teams this year. And I think the Cubs might be next. And it's like there's there is a schedule that's not public, but it is a scheduled release. So I think the Cubs might be next. That's a city jersey? I figure it's just going to be our alternate like it used to be. No, I think it's going to end up being a city jersey. I'm pretty uh... confident. I hope not. I'd love to get another jersey out of the season because it's. I'll pay money. I don't care. But especially when you're spending it. If the Mets want to spend money, I will buy your authentic jerseys all day. When the Wilpons spent no money, I'm going to China, baby. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. That's going to be a fun soundbite. I'm going to China, I'm baby. I'm going to China, baby. But you're going to spend money, I'll go buy your jerseys. Yeah, listen. If I see a black jersey on that Friday night, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> I'm going ballistic. I'm losing my mind anyway. It's going to be a freaking awesome, awesome day. Yes, yeah, so both both of our dads will be there hanging out. Mm-hmm. We're going to grab mm-hmm. a drink in center field, I'm sure. Have a good time, mm-hmm. and hopefully the Mets win. But, yeah, Padres series that just happened, split it with one of the best teams in baseball. Everyone knows it. There's no doubt about it. You can't discount this series at all about the Mets. Whether you think that this team is legit or not, you have to acknowledge that the Mets went into San Diego and gave the Padres a good run for their money. That was not an easy series. And that's what the Mets, Mets, that's just, that's how they are. They, we've got the pitching to give us a chance. When the offense shows up, we're tough to beat. We're really, really hard. We're scrappy. We're gritty. We persevere. We have talent. More talent coming on the way. McNeil's going to have a rehab assignment in about a week or two, which is amazing news. Team could use him badly. It's only up from here, Mets fans. We are ready to take the fuck off. Yes. Be happy. Enjoy it. I'm enjoying it. James is enjoying it. You should enjoy it. You're allowed to have fun as a Mets fan. It's okay. We've talked about it before. Enjoy it. And I'm starting to see even some of the negative people on Twitter. They're flipping a lid. KFC, Barstool is even on the bandwagon of, guys, we're good. Oh, my God. I'm done being negative. I think he even Mm -hmm. put out a tweet the other day that he's blocking people that are going to be negative about the Mets. That's crazy. This is... Is, is he blocking a colleague, Frank uh, Fleming? I think it was a shot at Frank the Tank because yeah. Frank is just intolerable. But anyway, yes. not to, we've already ranted about him enough. Let's wrap up this episode here. We've been talking about the Mets enough. We've been so excited. I mean, we could go for another hour, I'm sure. But Easily. That's why you can listen to the next episode after you heard through to this one. So thank you guys so much for listening. You know where to follow us on Twitter. Mets up. Easy. Just real short and simple. Twitter and Instagram. YouTube, we're going to have the YouTube video up, Mets Up Podcast. You can follow James at Jeter Had No Range, me, Giraffe Neck Mark. And we'll talk to you at the end of the uh, Orioles series, hopefully a sweep in Baltimore. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace out.